Okay, here we go. Focus, speed. I am speed. One winner, 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. I was going a little bit too fast, and as I came around the corner to head out on the track, there was a car parked there, and I ran in the back of it. And he thinks it's a get-back from the week before, and that's what he tells the NASCAR officials. He blamed it on an incident that happened the week before, and I had no recollection as of even being together on the racetrack the week before. I'm picking up the pace because he's he's running me down and running me down fast, and I don't know the difference. Um, coming off turn four, uh, I ended up smacking the fence just hard enough that that was the end of us. As it turns out, Cabana had been sitting on the infield for about 80 laps. Welcome, everybody, to the Uncommon Deeds Podcast. Tom Corbett, Justin St. Louis, here with a special episode, a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. It's a little different. It's a little different part two. Uh, Oh, poor Tom. (laughs) This is our second attempt at recording this open as our first time through. And it's going to be a lengthy open, giving you a heads up. We were about 20 minutes in when I realized that I had not hit record. Oh. <laughs> 80 episodes. 80 episodes, whatever it is, 79 interviews, recording an open, recording a close. And that is the uh, the first time for failing to hit record. All right. Shake it off. It was good. It was, it was, it was good. We've got, oh, he's got the fresca going with the pinky up. I think he, we got Tom back. He's good. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is this is a big show um, for us, and we've been teasing it a little bit, but I don't want to get to it yet. I want to make everybody wait a little bit longer. The big announcement. Let's talk. Let's talk NSO, the new sports order podcast. Um, debuted last Thursday with you and Sterling Pingree, the greatest name in sports, and I just want to tell you, as a guy who doesn't uh, follow sports of any kind outside of racing, I didn't feel lost. I felt thank you. Like I felt like you guys explained things. Um, you didn't. I don't know if dumbing it down is the right phrase, but explained it in a way that I understood it. And I'm going to give you the example: was the cohabitation of yeah. divorces. Which is a thing, folks. It is a thing happening now with, like, housing prices and blah, 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 blah. It is a thing. But, yeah, uh, dumbing it down, that is 
that could go on my resume. Yeah, when you're talking Tom Corbett. Uh, But no, well, one, thank you. But one of the reasons I want to do this, one, it had been a while. I used to do sports talk a lot on DEV and some other places. And I kind of had an itch to do it a little bit. But similar to this, I did not want to do it on the radio or anything like that. And getting an opportunity to work with Sterling, who is a very old friend of mine. We were roommates together all through college, worked probably a hundred games together, calling games. We had a radio sports show for three plus years. Uh, So that opened up and we hadn't worked together in 14 years. So that was a pretty cool opportunity. And to be honest, it gave me, and gives me an opportunity to be a little bit more me than I am on this podcast. And that's just because out of respect for our guests that we have, I don't want to get too weird and crack too many jokes that, you know, might go over the head of a Bobby dragon, uh, this gives me the opportunity, like I made, I think, at least one Dazed and Confused reference in episode one. Like Justin said, there was a nice chat comparing the 49ers quarterback situation to cohabitating divorcees. Uh, like, it was really it was really down to earth though as stupid as that sounds like it really made sense <laughs> like, yeah and we're not out talking about <laughs> i am uh comfortable enough with my sports knowledge that i don't feel like i have to be one of those people that i'm gonna give you 13 different stats to prove why i'm smarter than you and you should listen to me you mean like me with this show <laughs> <laughs> i didn't say that no, no, but I did. <laughs> that was just the early episodes. We reeled you. We once we got yeah. our rhythm. Uh, yeah. But uh yeah, it just it gives us the opportunity to do that and I want to thank everybody. It's been, you know, a good start for week number 1 and I'm very appreciative for everybody that's hopped on and liked the Facebook page and I saw a lot of people who like this page who are fans of this show, who jumped over, gave us a like on the Facebook page for the new sports order. I really appreciate that. Whatever you can do to help spread the word, because, you know, this did not have a big buildup. It came together in about a week, week and a half. Yeah. And partially that's me. I didn't even post anything on my pages till the day that the podcast came out because we were still kind of scrambling. So we are truly kind of building from the ground up on this more so even than we did with the uncommon deeds podcast. I look forward to it though with, I mean, I'm listening because it's, it's our, it's our company that puts the show on and because you're a friend of mine. So I feel like, you know, there's two reasons for me to listen, but I also feel like it's a show that could get me back into sports. You know what I mean? Like the way that you guys discuss things, it's not Stephen A. Smith going, it's you guys having a conversation that makes sense, you know? 
I appreciate that. And uh, we're going to keep going and keep tweaking as we go, and there will be changes, I'm sure, and give it another month, a little more than a month, the NBA kicks off, and anybody that knows me knows I am a huge basketball guy, and Sterling is not a big NBA guy, so it might give me an opportunity to crank out maybe some extra podcasts during the week that are more central around basketball. I know, uh, Justin, you got a particular friend who has a great fondness of the Orlando Magic that I would bet oh, yeah. would want to come on and chat. The Court Cousins podcast, which is not affiliated with us, but yeah, uh, the Peach might might be interested in coming on to talk some hoop with you for sure. And we'll see what else. Because with this podcast, it is very much general, general sports and gives us a lot more wiggle room to do weird things, whether good, bad, indifferent. It gives us room to play more so than, you know, this podcast, which has a very kind of central idea that we kind of stay stay in our lane with. Yeah, Uncommon Deeds is pretty, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. I'm really looking forward to... Um, whatever your version of the updates at Augusta might be on the, I, you know, the Chris uh, Vernon show. <laughs> I am not tackling tackling that mountain. That's what's going on at Augusta. Oh, that is. Please tell us in the comments, folks, if you know what I'm talking about. I hope you do. If not, let us know. We'll clue you in. I want to see if anybody Where knows. Where the hell is Charlie Hoffman? Yeah. I want to see who knows, so I'm not going to tell you who it is because I want to see if someone messages yeah. us and knows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they have they have a few great podcasts. I listen to listen yeah. to him as well. Uh, but yeah, tune in, give the Facebook page a like if you will, subscribe to the podcast. I would very much appreciate it. Um, don't forget to do that with this podcast. Yeah, which <laughs> yep. it kind of went without being talked about a couple weeks ago, but all of a sudden in about a week and a half, two weeks, we picked up about 200 Facebook likes in about a week, week and a half out of nowhere. Awesome. We are over 3,100 likes now on Facebook. Uh, Kudos to you. Thank you for, for showing us some love. Yeah. Appreciate that. And, um, I think the first track that ever shared our one of our posts to uh, Airborne Speedway shared at the Robin Wood show, which was cool. So appreciate that as well. Yeah. Okay. Can we get to this thing already? Sure. It's been a couple of weeks. We've been teasing a big announcement regarding kind of what's next for the Uncommon Deeds podcast. And, you know, I said that I think last week or the week before. I'm like, oh, that could be taken kind of yeah. as a negative. <laughs> No, we kind of had two. I mean, last week we announced right. the NSO, right? But we didn't even know that probably two weeks ago. <laughs> That's true. But uh, this yeah. one we've been working on for a while, and uh, we're not going anywhere. The podcast is going strong, but we are, in fact, going somewhere. We are going to the Barbecue Pavilion in Turn 3 at Thunder Road on Milk Bowl Saturday, and we want you, all of you, to join us and have a grand old time. Um, 
as soon as the the racing and the open practice are done on Saturday afternoon, which I believe is October 1st, um, at Thunder Road, we'll be set up over in the pavilion right underneath, underneath the scoreboard. We're going to have a live show there with audience participation. Um, we're going to have Robbie Crouch, four-time Milk Bowl winner. We're going to have Bobby Dragon, uh, Milk Bowl winner. We're going to have Nick Sweet, also a four-time Milk Bowl winner, and more. Um, there's there's more stuff that's happening that we're not even 100% sure about yet. Um, Nick I made requests. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I believe there's going to be a barbecue over there that night um, at the same time, which is awesome. Like that, if anything, I think that's really going to improve the atmosphere because um, you got something to do if you're not interested in Robbie. Bobby. I, don't, I don't know why you wouldn't be because they're awesome, but uh, or maybe you're just not interested in me and Tom. That's fine, too. Um, there will be a live band as soon as we're done. And it's Milk Bowl weekend, so it's a party anyway. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We're really excited about this. We've been we've been talking about it for a year and a half now. Yeah, when we kicked this thing off, we talked about wanting to do live shows, and we had talked to a few people that you know own some restaurants or bars or whatever. But you know, COVID played a big part, and none of those ever really coming to fruition and you know one thing chris Mashad and thunder road who kind of gave us this opportunity and were fully open to the idea and are welcoming we very much appreciate it because otherwise we wouldn't be doing it uh so that's much appreciated and we're gonna have fun with it we'll be there all day saturday so you can come over at some point before then if you want to chat with us, probably more Justin because you know he's smarter and more race central than than old Tom is. But uh, yeah, but you're you're better looking though. Well, I think uh, neither of us are probably winning a winning a prize there. That's true. That's yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> super excited about it. Um, we've got Alan Ward. Um, on board with us as he's been since the start with, um, you know, I would say 75 to 80% of the pictures that we use for the graphics on our show um, come from Alan and Andy Ward's photo collections. Um, and that's always been free of charge to us, which is incredible. Um, we're working on a partnership with them to, um, sell our t-shirts at Thunder Road and maybe we'll sell their Milk Bowl stuff as well. Um, kind of some cross promotion. Um, and by the way, they know racing better than we do. Um, so who knows? You might even get, get them on the, on the show for a minute. Um, well, we had Al on last year for the Milk Bowl preview show, right? So correct. Yeah. Um, just a lot of people that have helped out already and we'll, you know, thank them as uh, in due time um we've got a sound thing set up and um we've got a place to do it and it's it's going to be awesome We're, we really want you all to turn out um and and join us and have some fun and um bring a lawn chair because i don't know how much room there's going to be underneath that pavilion it's not as big as i thought it was um there's probably 20 tables there with chairs already but i'm thinking they're going to fill up rather fast um and if you are not going to be 
at the Milk Bowl. Some of our listeners from different states, different countries, perhaps. It's a it's a long trip from Switzerland to make it just for the Milk Bowl. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, we will, or at least planning to, if all goes well, run the audio from the live show on this podcast that next week, so you can hear it. And if all goes well, I think we're going to try to record video of the live show that would be up on our YouTube page probably a week after that. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, balls that we're juggling in the air and trying to figure out how to to make this as easy as possible for you to consume um, if you can't be there. Um, it's going to help us kind of build our YouTube page a little bit too as, as well and um, give us some experience with different techniques and how we want this thing to move forward and how many more live things, live events that we want to do and, and that we can pull off um, feasibly. So it's, it's cool. It's kind of the catalyst for, for this whole thing. It was really one of the first ideas that we had, you know, podcasting is cool, but getting people involved in it is way better. And this was kind of one of the things that we always wanted to do since the very start. So uh, it's finally happening and, and we're excited and we've got, freaking racing royalty joining us for the first one so pretty cool so you'll hear probably some more details about that in the next couple weeks as we are gearing up and getting things together so keep an ear out for that i want to throw in also that we are entertaining advertisers for that show if you want to get involved in it it's going to be it's going to be one of the biggest things we've ever done i'm sure um we're a pretty cheap date we do have some expenses in this and we're not begging, but if you want to be involved, um, we've had great success with our, with our current and former partners. And I, I think they can tell you that, you know, what we do works, it's not, you're not going to get rich off it, <laughs> but neither are we. Um, it's a, it's just something fun to be a part of and we'll get your message out to the masses, um, fairly cheaply. So, um, it's going to be fun. And, and if you want to help us out, we would absolutely appreciate you. You can do Big that. Sending us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Also, another cheap plug for myself if you are interested in becoming part of the New Sports Order podcast. Mm-hmm. Like we said, some new opportunities to get more names involved in what we're doing. Same thing, UncommonMediaVT at gmail.com. We're open for business. Speaking of which, we do have, of course, our advertisers that have been with us, uh, not since the start, but damn near it. Um, Barry Tile, Morrison Clark, uh, down on the South Barry Road, um, in business for 50 years. Just the top of the top um, for all your flooring needs, if it's carpet, if it's hardwood, if it's tile, whatever, they can do it. They got granite countertops and all kinds of countertops, and they can build a shower for you in your in your bathroom, and they can do outdoor patio work, and they, they're just they're awesome. Their stuff is so cool. Um, we love to look at their Facebook page and, and check out what their latest projects are. Um, yeah, go see them, 889 Southbury Road. Do it. And as we talked about, Milk Bowl's coming. It's a few weeks away. That means you've only got a couple weeks left to try to get $500 off a standalone generator from Bushy's Generator Sales and Service. Justin, you know 
as much as anybody, you know, winter comes, bad weather comes, you're going to lose your power at some point. So it doesn't even need to be winter. This is, this is a real thing that happened this morning. This, this is Sunday morning that we're recording this. And I'm in a group chat that you're not in. It's people you don't even know. And one guy's power went out. He lives in New York. And he's like, ah, oh, the power's out. What the hell? And the first response was from another guy that you don't know who said, well, you could really, you should act now. You should have saved $500 on a generator from Bushies. And it just it blew me away. It came out of nowhere. I wasn't even thinking about it. And he said that, and I was just like, yeah, all right, this is working. Yeah, Ben Bushy has been a great supporter with us. Uh, and we are so appreciative of that. So get out there, look, see what they got, see what works for you. Like we said, just a few more weeks on that $500 off till Milk Bolton. Number one Briggs and Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont. Um, He's the best, man. And he's a racer. Speaking of racers, crazy stuff happens after dark. Oh, yeah. After dark custom designs, right? Yep. (laughs) Hunter Garduno. Yeah, that's the guy. Well, and if crazy shit's going to go down after dark, it's going to be him involved, too. So Uh, if you need a hat, if you need a T-shirt, if you want your team to look good, you want your fans to look good, uh, he's your guy. Uh, Check out After Dark Custom Designs on Facebook. And uh, you'll see he doesn't do just racing stuff. He does all kinds of cool, cool designs and, and things like that and apparel and whatever you need. He can make you look good. And um, no minimum again, order Hunter, either. That's that's awesome, too. Um, Hunter is a, a racer as well. And he's got our decals all over his car. And when he wrecks it, we'll have to send him new ones, fresh ones. But that's fine. We can do that. Um, Heck, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to thank you to all our sponsors that help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Yeah, couldn't do it without them. Now that so this week's show is is obviously a little bit different. Wait, let's start that. So this week's show is obviously a little bit different um, from the norm. It's not one guest. It's actually not even really uh, any guests, um, but. We wanted to do something to honor the Kings of the Road this year at Thunder Road. And um, and I think Justin was still upset with me that I'm on a new podcast, and he decided to do this so he could cut me out of most right. of the show. Right. Um, <laughs> I woke up on Friday morning. I said, you know what? I hate that Tom Corbett. Yeah. Yep. I knew it. So Justin was at Thunder Road on Friday to do some scouting of the pavilion for the aforementioned live show coming October 1st at Thunder Road. And we were talking about it because we had put off recording a guest because Justin's charger cable woes went on longer than they should have. He bought multiple charging cords that were not the right charging cords for his computer. He then thought something was wrong with the computer and dropped that off to be looked at. He finally got his computer 
got it charged late Thursday night, but was headed to the road Friday, and we thought this is a great opportunity where he can, you know, grab the newly crowned champions and just get some thoughts with them right after it happens. We've talked to people after they've won big races, won a championship, but you don't have that same immediate reaction you get when you talk to them at their trailer five minutes later. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you can tell the order in which I went because the party gets louder as it goes, um, uh, as the night went on. Um, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I learned about. I really learned a lot about Dean Switzer, um, that I didn't know. I learned a lot about Sam Karen's thought process. And I reinforced my knowledge of the fact that I know that Chris Belkey loves a good Bud Light. Yep. Yeah. The, you know, Dean Switzer was good on uh, on this episode, and I saved it for the end. I think we went Pelkey Karen Switzer, as you're listening. As it should be, yeah. And I think we're doing that this week, and it's not going to be the last time, I think, We're going to send Justin down to Devil's Bowl on their championship night to do something very similar. Yep. Just, you know, as much as we love the history and we love the past, it's still fun to honor the present. Absolutely. And I love that it's three first-time champions that that we talk to. Um, Yeah, hot damn. You know, the the Chris Pelkey story last year was so good. Um, kind of the David and Goliath story where he was the David versus the Goliath of Jason Corliss. And he came out swinging again this year and absolutely delivered uh, what everybody expected. Uh, he, he did. He knocked it out of the park. The last night was a little intense um, and he didn't end up with as great a finish as he wanted. Uh, he did win the porta potty race, which was great. Um, there was the big wreck with Stephen Donahue and Chris Roberts that I reference in this. And, uh, if you're unaware of it, you've been sleeping because holy shit, what a wreck. Um, and that sort of took some of the fun out of the championship celebration, at least on track. But when everybody realized that Stephen Donahue was going to be all right, the party in the pits went absolutely bonkers. And it took me, 30 minutes of waiting to get to Chris Pelkey because the the crowd around him was so big and the beer was just a flowing. It was, it was awesome to see. I haven't seen a champion celebrate like that or be celebrated like that in many years of Thunder Road. No, it's the first time in a while that we've really had, you know, fresh blood at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So that's on today's show, but before we get there, it is time now for Justin St. Louis to deliver some story time. We've mentioned the circuit a lot on Uncommon Deeds, the five nights a week grind back in the 1970s that made heroes out of guys like Beaver and Bobby Dragon, Robbie Crouch, Joey Carafas, Dave Dion, John Paul Cabana, and so many others. But I suppose we've never really done a great job explaining what it was or what it led to. 
it sounds silly at first, but it's a fact that you can easily trace the roots of what is known today as the Arkham Menard Series East back to the original 1960s Flying Tiger Division at Catamount Stadium and Thunder Road right here in Vermont. The Tigers, which were sanctioned by NASCAR starting in 1965, evolved into limited sportsmen in 1970 and then quickly into late model sportsmen and the Northern NASCAR circuit for 1971. By 79, the NASCAR North Tour was created using those cars, and then the Bush North Series came along in 1987, and the evolution into today has carried the tour on under the ARCA banner, for better or for worse. It was when the rulebook was upgraded in 1971 to NASCAR's National Late Model Sportsman Specifications that today's story begins. From 1971 through 78, the Northern NASCAR circuit was a wild time and it created some major stars. A total of 410 races were run over just eight seasons, a mind-blowing average of 51 races a year. Bobby Dragon won an incredible 83 features and three circuit championships during the stretch, and he and many other drivers became household names in the region and realistically throughout the country. Most teams ran the circuit with just a single car, and virtually every team operated with unpaid drivers and crew members who held down full-time jobs and had young families at home here in Vermont or in New York or in New Hampshire. The only thing that comes close today is the midweek specials for Dirt Modifieds in New York State. The Northern NASCAR circuit was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for asphalt fans, and sadly, it will never be replicated. The ragtag Flying Tigers had exploded in popularity in the second half of the 1960s, and race teams wanted to incorporate a bit more sophistication into the cars. They got that in spades, and promoter Ken Squire, who at this point was very close with NASCAR founder Bill France Sr., put a plan into action for his two Vermont tracks. By the beginning of the 71 campaign, all traces of the Tigers were gone. The 57 Chevys and the 56 Fords were out, and the sleek new Southern-style late models were in town with Chevelle and Fairlane sheet metal. Thunder Road ran on Thursday nights, Catamount was on Saturday nights, and the new flat one-third mile oval at San Air International Raceway in St. Pete, Quebec, opened in mid-July for Friday night racing. The points that were earned in every event at all three tracks were combined to form the Northern NASCAR circuit, and the race teams traveled like a local circus, with dozens of them running at every event available. Quebec dairy farmer Jean-Paul Cabana, who we talked to way back in episode eight, he won it all that year, sweeping all three track titles and the inaugural circuit championship. He won nine of the 53 features held that season. Other big winners included Red Dog Ron Barkham, the Wild Child Russ Ingerson, the Kentucky Colonel Tom Tiller, New York's Danny Bridges, and an invader from the Riverside Park Speedway near Springfield, Massachusetts, Fast Eddie Ruggieri. If you thought racing three nights a week was crazy, try 1972. San Air moved to Wednesday nights while Thunder Road kept going on Thursdays. The track we know today as Airborne Speedway in Plattsburgh, New York, took the Friday night slot, and Catamount held on to Saturdays. The recently paved Devil's Bowl Speedway in West Haven, Vermont, ran on Sunday nights. That's five nights in a row if you're keeping score, and there were lots of other specials sprinkled in here and there. On three occasions that year, Thunder Road ran on Sunday afternoon before the whole show packed up and went over the mountain to race at Devil's Bowl at night. And there was also a Memorial Day weekend grind at Circuit du Montaigne near Montreal on Sunday afternoon, Devil's Bowl on Sunday evening, and Thunder Road on Monday afternoon. The circuit was attracting major media attention at this point, along with an influx of outside racers. Drivers like Johnny Rosati, Jerry Driscoll, and Dave Dion came from Massachusetts and Southern New Hampshire, and two youngsters from Florida came north as well. 20-year-old Robbie Crouch from Tampa and 17-year-old Richie Panch from Daytona Beach, the son of former Daytona 500 winner Marvin Panch. Bobby Dragon dominated, winning 21 of 70 races that year, but Cabana racked up more points and once again took the Northern Circuit crown. 
1973, San Air scaled back to just a handful of special events, but Seekonk Speedway was added as a weekly track in Massachusetts, giving drivers two choices on Saturday nights. Most stuck to their home turf, but Dion and the Dragons caught some extra points at Seekonk in the spring before Catamount opened up. Bobby Dragon completed the mission with the circuit title and 24 wins in an available 83 races. Seekonk did not return in 1974, and Devil's Bowl quit the circuit early in the season since it usually suffered the worst with car counts being the last stop of the week. This allowed Airborne to take the Sunday slot, and the circuit went back to a slightly more manageable three nights per week, plus specials at places like Stafford Speedway in Connecticut, San Air's Oval, and for the first time, San Air's Road Course. Bobby Dragon again led the way with wins in 13 victories out of a reduced 48-event slate. Only 48 races, right? But the kid Joey Carafas was close behind with 12 wins. Carafas, along with Rosati and Crouch, was part of the ultra-popular three-man mod squad, so named because they reminded Ken Squire of the characters on the counterculture television show of the era, replete with their long hair, mutton-chop sideburns, and more than their fair share of female admirers. Joey Carafas had teamed up with car owner Bob Curtis and crew chief Paul Dion, who had split from his brother Dave's team for the year. They swept the circuit title and track championships at Plattsburgh and Thunder Road. Notably, NASCAR star Tiny Lund came north to race quite often, winning once each at Plattsburgh, the San Air Oval, and the San Air Road Course, and multi-time Daytona 300 winner Bill Dennis came north to win the Milk Bowl at Thunder Road. The 1975 season was essentially the same schedule, but three drivers dominated, Dion, Beaver, and Bobby. They combined to win 29 out of 43 races, and Beaver Dragon took the circuit title and the final Plattsburgh championship under the circuit umbrella. With Paul Dion back in his corner, Dave Dion won the Catamount and Thunder Road titles. Tiny Lund won twice at St. Air before his death at Talladega, and Tennessee's L.D. Ottinger came north to win the New England 200 at Catamount. Northern drivers went south, too, competing at Daytona, Charlotte, Martinsville, Langley, Virginia, Beltsville, Maryland, and other places. Beaver Dragon's championship-winning car was a Mike Laughlin chassis that was built in South Carolina. Plattsburgh was gone in 76, replaced by the Riverside Speedway in Laval, Quebec, just outside of Montreal. Southern invaders were even more frequent as they chased the NASCAR National Championship, looking for points and money at every opportunity. South Carolina superstar Butch Lindley came up to race the Oxford 250, which was not a part of the circuit, and he won that race. But in the same week, he got beat by Dion in the Bicentennial 200 at Thunder Road. Other visitors included Harry Gant, Morgan Shepard, Bosco Lowe, and NASCAR Winston Cup champion Benny Parsons. Dion was the circuit champion that year, and he won 13 features out of 44 races. Overall, though, things began to decline, and it seemed like the end was getting nearer. In 1977, things began to slow considerably. Thunder Road and Catamount were the only weekly tracks that remained on the circuit, with a handful of extra races at St. Air, Oxford, Maine, and Mont Carmel, Quebec. Bobby Dragon's eight wins in just 36 races were enough for the title. Butch Lindley came north to win the Molson 300 at San Air, the New England 200 at Catamount, and Thunder Road's Milk Bowl, while Bob Presley won the Schlitz 100 at Catamount. Dion beat Lindley for the 200 at Thunder Road again, and Ontario invader Don Biederman won the Oxford 250, which did count for the first time, and he also won twice at Mont Carmel. The circuit's final year was 1978, with Catamount being the only semi-steady track, even though the late models competed at only 10 of the track's 17 events. Oxford's open competition series was counted, but again, that was only eight races. Thunder Road started off as part of the circuit, but the doors were closed four races into the year as new owner Tommy Calamiris ran out of money. Jim Montaigne ran four events and San Air just two, leaving the schedule at only 28 races. Bobby Dragon claimed the final title of the weekly Northern NASCAR circuit. Tom Curley 
who was hired in 1978 to promote Catamount and pull it out of its slump, put an axe to the circuit and created the NASCAR North Tour with Ken Squire in 1979. That series was a true tour of 27 races at 10 different tracks in New England, New York, and Eastern Canada, though Catamount did host 11 events in combination with many of its weekly shows. The tour flourished through 1985 when NASCAR and Curly had a bitter divorce that led to the creation of ACT in 1986 and eventually the NASCAR Bush North Series in 1987. But we're going to save that story for another time. Thank you to Justin for story time here this week. But without further ado, we will now send it right back to Justin as he sits down with your late model king of the road, Chris Pelkey. Pretty big night for you because you won the porta potty race. Yeah, it's uh, not really the way I planned for that to be our biggest accomplish of the night, accomplishment of the night. But uh, we did what we had to do to come home with a big trophy. Also, I mean, how awesome is that? It's pretty sweet. Uh, I don't know if it's set in yet. I think when uh, the name gets sandblasted on the granite, and you get, you look at. Some people I really admire, like Nick Sweet and Eric Williams and all the names on there. It's just, uh, you know, childhood dream. Never thought I'd be here. Um, Still don't really think I'm good enough to be there, but pretty sweet. You got to give yourself a little credit, though. Come on. I mean, <laughs> no, well, you know, you got to really suck at some point to get most improved driver two years in a row, or not two years in a row, but twice. So we've we've gotten better and better, and uh, we have a we have a really good team now. Uh, awesome group of guys. Have a lot of fun. That's that's a big part of it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. A little stressful last few weeks, but. So I know that we kind of talked about all this stuff when you were on the show, but when you suck, what keeps you motivated? Is it this five years down the road, or is it just get to the next race? When you have a bad night, it's always I always like getting back on the track as soon as possible. Um, obviously, a couple nights to figure out why, uh, but that was I really like. That was the good thing about when we ran the tour in Thunder Road was we race a lot. So if you had a bad night, you can get over it real quick. Um, just like getting back out there and going. Tonight, I don't know, it's probably more nerves in the car. I barely feel my arms. It felt like rubber all night. I'm not real happy with my driving, but we got it done. So even in the greatest moment of your career, you're pissed off at yourself? Yeah. Uh, it's it's real real weird feeling for I don't even know where we finished where did we finish <laughs> after that wreck I have no idea where anybody yeah finished. oh that was that was awful I really hope Steven's okay that that kind of felt like did Labor you have, Day did a you have years. a view of that yeah I I saw him hit his roof and and the fireball go and uh, Steven's a great kid and he's he's not a kid but he's basically a kid at heart and. Uh, never want to see it. you don't want to see that happen to anybody it's just really scary it's hard to really focus on winning the championship or any of that so hope really hope he's all right does that kind of suck a little bit for you to... no nah, it don't matter no I, no but i mean you're hoping to win a championship it yeah was super close he's trying to win a race and a championship yeah. and then you see that and you guys you know everybody's friends here yeah 
No, I mean, it doesn't take from it. It maybe sucked a little bit of wind out of it, but uh, that doesn't really matter. The name's going on the granite. It's going to be there forever, so... So plenty the milk, of time to relish. The milk bowls in a few weeks. Yeah, and they're going to introduce you as the king of the road. That'll be pretty cool. Uh, I think we might try to go to White Mountains next weekend. Excited to just get back and do some racing. Um, but then, yeah, milk bowl. Hopefully, we can figure out what we had going on tonight. We got a lot more practice to figure it out. So excited. What have some of your competitors said to you tonight? Well, I think everybody's been everybody's been real good, real excited for me. Uh, I think I, I think I have a good amount of friends here, not too many enemies. So it's uh, it's been pretty sweet to get you know accepted from all my peers or however you want to say that. It's, it's even the awesome. guys that you're that you beat for the title. I mean, are they? Oh yeah, Scott and well Kyle. You know, came out to me on the. I stopped and saw him at the track. Kyle's a great competitor. Been running with him since the Tigers. Really like racing with him. Um, and then Scott was probably you know second or third over after that. So uh, we had a we had a good group of guys. We all ran hard. But we ran pretty clean. Um, not really any complaints. So it's a lot of fun. Enjoy this party you got going here. Thanks. Uh, yeah. We brought some extra beer tonight, so I we're going to be all right. <laughs> Congratulations, buddy. That's awesome. So there you have it. Chris Pelkey, name going on the granite. Some new names hitting the granite after this year. The different yeah. granite. It's cool that a Pelkey is going on the granite, like all the history in Barry. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. and... That was a a wild season, I think, for the late models. A little different than in recent years where it's kind of been predetermined and see if you can change it to being yeah. just wide open the whole way. And what, they had yeah. five guys mathematically that could have walked away with it. And it was close. And, and each of them would have been a first-time champion. You know, it was definitely a changing of the guard this year. There's no Nick Sweet. There's no Derek O'Donnell. There's no Jason Corliss. And has anybody else won the championship in the last 10 years? Without looking, I can't think of anybody. And talking about changing the guards, you had Caden Fisher in a late model. Right. And battling for the Tiger win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said changing. I mean, what did it end up? I haven't seen it. They hadn't updated the final points last time I checked, but I think someone told me Kyle Pembroke was like two points off something. So if the Donahue and Roberts accident had happened maybe a lap before and taken them out and Kyle Pembroke had won the race, he would have won the championship just because there's that seven point break between the first and second place. And that's how, that's how close things were. Yeah, it was a wild season, and it came down to a wild final night and a wild final lap. Uh, it was pretty cool, yeah. Now, let's go back and let Justin check in with your Tiger champion, Sam Karen. All night long, I was thinking about how many laps you've led in your career. <laughs> 
with nothing to show for it. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I, there's been a few wins in the Tiger now. In the Tiger, yeah. sure, but you know, I'm not talking the Tiger. I'm talking yeah. about the grind. And there's 25, 28, 30 late models every week. Yeah. And you've got a good car, and something always happens. Something always happens. Always happens. Yeah. I, I mean, we were underdogs, financially. Yeah. You know, knowledge-wise, my brother and I basically, and you know, some friends and beers, and yeah. that's what we did <laughs> for a lot of years. How, why did you keep going? We love racing, you know? Yeah. It's just, you know, passion. Grew up watching and just wanting to do it. Did you, I mean, did you emulate or try to emulate your your family? You had a, some pretty big shoes to step into. Yeah, I mean. Your dad and your uncles. Yes and no. I mean, it was just kind of a, I won't say a way of life, but it's what we did, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, some families go camping, some families go fishing. We went racing. Yeah. That's, you know. You don't know anything else. I mean, yeah, yes and no. And it was just, you know, it was fun. You know, the adrenaline, the engineering, the, you know, the trying to be better every week. It, there's just, you know, so many aspects that, yeah. like, you know, suited my personality. So you went away for a while. We didn't see you for a few years. Uh, driving anyways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now you're back. Like, what, why stop and then why start again? Ah, uh, well, you know, with the late model, it was just, you know, clear that we were being outspent, outgunned, yeah. you know, with the start of the spec engine, spec conies, shocks, tire rules, you know, at the beginning we could keep up and then just kind of slowly got outclassed again they're, as far as they're money. spending on half of a tenth, you know? Yeah. yeah. So um, it was hard to keep up and kind of life kind of took other changes, buy a house, do this and that, and uh, kept racing. I went a year working uh, with Barney and doing the drive for diversity. Uh, K&N series or Camping World, I remember which one it was at that point. Yeah. Then worked for uh, NDS Motorsports and Hibbert for several years after that, and just you know kept kept racing in some form or fashion, helping yeah. out my uncle and Chip would drive for him or Roger Brown or whoever. Gene. Gene drove for a year. Yep. I wasn't present too much for that one, but you know, I was on the road a lot. But so then uh, kind of just one fateful night, uh, Smitty. McKay called me up and said, hey, i got a question for you. If you can help my car go faster, I'll let you drive my other car. He's like, that seems like what you do, right? So it, that's how it started. You know, that's how I got back. It's a hell of a guy to call you up, too. <laughs> yeah, I've known Smitty, you know, off and on for years. Not well, but, yeah. you know, he's been at this racetrack as long as anyone, or had been anyways. Yeah. And, uh, you know, geographically, we were four miles apart for a long time from Colchester to Essex. So. Yeah. Um, so just a few minutes ago, you were saying you guys are 90% sure this is Joe Steffen's 2002 championship car. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure. And uh, now it's the 2022 championship Yeah, it's car. kind of uh, crazy, isn't it? It's you know, yeah. Tiger, well, I mean, these cars, they haven't built one of these frames in 40, 40 years, years. So, you know, they have to have some longevity to keep going. <laughs> So, when did you come back in tires? Was it four years ago? Yeah, four. It was Something 2018. Like okay. So I drove this car the first year. When you made the decision to jump back in, did you expect to be competitive? I mean, because you weren't. At the, at the end of your late models, you, you really weren't. Um, you know, I, I, I think I did. I think I, had, I expected to be pretty competitive. I knew I'd been out for a little while, but I had experience driving. had a lot of experience, you know, 
working, setting up cars, yeah. and, and just I know race cars pretty well. So I figured, you know, be I, I was hoping to be successful anyways. It was a division I could afford to compete in, and, and uh, so that was the plan. The first year didn't go quite as well as I expected because, no, yeah. you know, the car wasn't really that great of a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you had all this knowledge, and, I mean, it must have just kind of – because you did have a little bit of – success that year yeah right? i mean the first couple of races i finished in the top 10 and right you know it's kind of purely just knowing how to hang on yeah. and you know get in the right lane and you know a little bit of veteran savvy even though i hadn't raced in a while and you know hold on to it but the car just didn't have any speed that year was it different to drive these cars from yeah. what you'd been used to uh, yeah uh i think craig bushy came up to me after a couple of races and said just just drive the crap out of it. <laughs> it's like, don't try and finesse it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of good advice. Yeah. Did you ever envision this moment? You know, you always dream about it. You always work towards that. So I guess yes. But, you know, the, that first year driving this car wasn't, you know, seemed like a long ways away. Yeah. You know, winning a race was the first goal. You know, win a race and right. then win another. And then so just, what did that first win feel like for you? Ah, uh, you know, it was definitely a weight off your shoulders been racing forever and you know been part of winning teams and you know won races as a crew chief and you know as a team member but never as a driver so you know it'd been close a lot of times too yeah. so just uh, well, yeah, you had you had several podiums with the late model uh, actually i never finished in the top three though. come on really no, i had a lot I, of opportunity to to. no i never well, we're gonna make one up right now you finished third one night <laughs> Well, you were close anyway. Yeah. I mean, and you know, had a lot of good runs where sure. it could have happened. Yeah. So, but one leads to two, leads to three, leads to. Yeah, I think I'm at four now. Yeah. But maybe five, I don't know. Is, Hopefully is they keep easier? going. Does, does it get easier to win? Uh, you know, your confidence goes up. You know what it takes, you know, as far as what, what your car needs, what you need, you know, and you just kind of. I don't know if it ever gets really easy, but you kind of kind of just know what to do in the situations a little better as you as you win you know yeah um tomorrow can you sit back in the easy chair and realize what you've done tonight uh, this season? there's no sitting back in the easy chair no but but, but yeah you no, look through the record let it sink in you know, a little bit at, and look at everything that your dad did and your uncles did i mean larry there's a legend yeah you know no it's it's uh yeah, it's going to take a little while to sink in, but you know, I'm sure it will. Like you said, Larry's won a championship here. It was 38 years ago, something like yeah. that, a while. My Uncle Gary was within a few points several times, several times to Chuck Beatty. And, uh, you know, he could never pull it off, but it was close. So, you know, it feels good. hammer out there. <laughs> feels good to do it. Congratulations. Man. Thank you. That's, it's been a, a lifetime, you know, coming. Yeah. And I don't know if you realize how many people were cheering for you. It's kind of and nice. I, yeah. And I'm talking the late model pits yeah. and the tiger pits. Even you know, it's. Yeah. I this mean, it's kind of a win for every little guy. Yeah, I mean, I was a little guy for a while, and you know, try and race the right way. You know, race respectfully, clean, race hard, and you know, eventually it pays off. Enjoy it, man. Thanks. It's awesome. Back in the day, CA Crouch used to say, "Purdy, don't go." But that was before everyone was trying to be a social media influencer. These days in racing, it's just as important to look good as it is to go fast. Am I right? That's where After Dark Custom Designs comes in. 
If you need custom racing apparel, this is the place to go. Any color, any style, and the best part, no minimum order quantity. Screen printed or direct-to-garment t-shirts and hats with your logo or design on them, and hats are just $15 each. That's your cost. Founder Hunter Garduno is a racer, and he gets it. So in his words, your logo is going to look good on anything he makes. Now taking orders for September 1st, contact Hunter at 802-793-7919 or find After Dark Custom Designs on Facebook to place your order today. New England weather is unpredictable, and when the power goes out, you'll need a backup plan. That's why you should call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service in Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. Bushy's is your source for home standby generators, and they are the number one Briggs & Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont. From sales and installation to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200. And if you order a home standby generator from Bushy's between now and the Milk Bowl in October, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and receive a $500 discount. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated have got you covered, literally. They're your number one stop in central Vermont for all types of flooring, whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, indoor or outdoor, for your home or your business. Barry Tile staff are qualified installers who can offer you real-world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. But you don't need our endorsement. They've been family-owned and operated since 1972, which means... They're celebrating 50 years in business in 2022, and that stands for itself. And hey, not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. You got it, man. Check out Barry Tile's Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. You can call them the old-fashioned way, 802-476-0912, or just stop into the showroom, 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and make sure that you tell them that the guys at Uncommon Deeds sent you. Thanks to all our sponsors who help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now, back to our show. As many years, Justin, as he's put in, I don't know if I'd ever really heard Sam Karen speak. Yes, right. Exactly. Incredibly well-spoken. Uh, yeah. Not to um, prejudge or stereotype. I don't mean that like I'm shocked. But no. Wasn't nervous but, and just gave really yeah. good answers. And just a really nice guy. Um, the definition of a nice guy, you know. And beat his head against the wall so many times in the late models back in the 2000s. And just never had anything to show for it. And... See, like even in the interview, I I thought that he'd had a couple of top threes, and he's like, "Nope, never did, <laughs> not until the Tiger." And I'm like, "Jesus, man, uh, kind of one of those why keep doing it things." But he just loves the sport, and you know his his father Dennis, and you've got Richard, you've got Larry, you've got Gary. The Karens were just unbelievable in the '70s, the '80s, the '90s. Now we that watching them. that Justin 
might be a great second live show. No kidding, huh? Just get all the Karens. All of them. Kyle, you know. Man. Um, yeah, what a what a great racing family. And finally for for Sammy to get a championship was just so unexpected. It's something that two years ago I would never have thought was possible. And maybe maybe he did, maybe he didn't think it, but um it just on paper there's no chance. And he proved it all wrong and and had a great year. He's had a, a couple of really great years on the Tigers and very, very cool to see an underdog like that pull it out. And listen, I would have been happy with Justin Prescott winning the title. I would have been happy with Derek Calkins winning the title because they're also very good racers and very good guys, but nobody's put in the work out of those three like like Sam Karen. Yeah, congrats to him. That leaves us with one last king of the road, Mr. Dean Switzer Jr. So, when did you start racing? Uh, I started racing, actually I was 15. I didn't have my driver's license yet, and they stuck me in the Bray Ridge Speedway, and they just fudged the forms a little bit, and I started racing there. I got my license during that season. How old are you now? 40, hold on, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 47. So, 15 years old, 47, that's 32 years by my count. Mm-hmm. 32 years. Race, you know, we tried to put some full seasons in. It was tough at the time. I probably, out of all the years, the 32 years, I probably got a good solid 28 in. I've seen part in this and, you know, yeah. part season, maybe a couple of weeks here. I've seen a lot of your name. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I do lots of research and stuff. And I see your name through the Bear Ridge results and the Groveton results. And yeah. You know, you've been here for 15 years, right? No, not quite. No? Not quite, no. I think I got like seven or eight years here. Really? Yeah, we did. Yeah, one. Well, it feels like forever anyway. It does feel like forever. <laughs> I was here, yeah, so one, two, three, four, six or seven here. Okay. Six, seven or eight. So. We did, we did growth in for a good four or five years. Bay Ridge was the biggest, 13 years. On the yeah. Dirt. I mean. Where, where did the desire come from? My my parents were into racing quite a bit. We used to um, load up on a Saturday night, and I, I remember going to Star Speedway a lot when I was a young kid. Star Star Speedway is where I used to grew up around. I was born in Mass. Really? So we were. I was born in Methuen, Mass. So we lived in Mass, and we were about forty-five minutes away from Star Speedway, and that was our go-to. Track. You grew up on Supers. Yeah, Super Modifieds. That was my first race car I ever actually worked on. I was a young little duffer. My dad worked at a um, at a mechanic uh, a garage, yeah. like a selling cars and dealership. And the guy out back had a model to modify, uh, and the dealership let him use the bay to work on his race car. And I think I was like either eight, eight years old. And I stripped the chassis, the, the paint off the roll cage. Yeah. And it was a chemical you put onto it. And he said, don't touch it with your bare skin or your hands or anything. And I'm like, how many? Now I think about it, I'm, I'm like eight years old. <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing to a right. young kid at this time? You know, today they would be, you know, in trouble wise. But I mean, <laughs> it was, that's the first race. I got the picture of it from what colors we changed it and everything else. And uh, it was, it was, come on cool. in, you guys. Don't worry about me. You're out all night. All right. <laughs> um, who, who was it? Who was the driver? Uh, Tom Quinney was his Come name. on. Yes. Really? Tom Quinney. I was a big Tom Quinney fan. Yes. Oh, so I grew up with awesome. Tom Quinney, uh, watching Paul Richardson. 
the M3. Dude, this is awesome. Uh, yes, I got I got photos of it all. This so I was a kid. That's always what I wanted to do. The Star Speedway had a mini stock. Um, the Volkswagen, Steve Knowlton, and all those. Yes, guys. Yeah. Uh, the Volkswagens with the Pinto wagons and yeah. the Pintos. Yeah. And Star Speedway was letting them go in at 14 years old or 15 years old. The kids were trying to race these. Yeah. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to. I want to start racing. And my actually my first ever race ever was 14 years old at Bay Ridge Speedway on a pedal bike. They had they had <laughs> yeah, bike oh races. Yeah. And at that time you had to do a lap or two laps. You did the whole quarter mile God. on a pedal bike. My first time ever doing it, I got second. They did it twice a year. I went back. I mean, I painted it all up like a race car. It had like a <laughs> tin work on it and everything else. And went back and I won it. Um, the photo was crazy. I, I look at it back these days. Like, I had long hair back in the day, and I was sweating. My hair looked like a bozo the clown. Yeah. And that was my that was my, actually my first ever bike race. I won it, and from that day, from there, me and my dad started building a four-cylinder car in the garage that winter, Man. and went back to go race at Bay Ridge. I want to fast forward to tonight. Does the <laughs> maybe maybe I'm crazy, but does the feeling of celebrating as the champion here equate to? that first bike win at Bear Ridge, like the excite, the giddiness, the excitement, you know? I mean, yeah, Thunder Road is, this is Thunder Road. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I was racing out through Bear Ridge Speedway, Riverside Speedway, and everything else, and I would always come here and watch it, and I'd say, you know, this is the place to be. I mean, this place is huge. Yeah. If you want to get recognized, if you want to be known, if you want to be known as a racer, this is where you want to be. Yeah. And we left Riverside one time to come race the Milk Bowl here once. I had a hell of a time. It was fun, and we built a new car to come in and race. And I mean, if I had to put a championship to any of my careers anywhere, would it be cool to be say yes? I did it when I was younger on the dirt. Yes, but here I would. Uh, you can't trade it for anything. Bye. Good job. Thanks, guys. Take Thank me you. through. Take me through some of the low moments tonight. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there really was no low moments this year. Um, well, I mean the whole career. The whole career, the low moments. You know, there's ups and downs. Um, the down part was, you know, the, the money thing and getting sponsors and just trying to, you know, back when we were racing as kids, you know, we didn't have our mom and dad to help us or yeah. our grandfathers. My, my mom helped me quite a bit as much as she could, and she was a single mom, knowing that, you know, this is what I wanted to do, and she helped me as much as I could. And, I mean, I worked piddly jobs and put my last dime into it just to go race, you know, which I could have been doing a lot of other things, you know, at that age. Yeah. Um, but we, the dirt was a little more forgiving, you know, money-wise, and, you know, it got to the point where it was getting crazy at the end when I left dirt. I mean, that's why I left, because of money. When I left, I had almost eight grand in an engine racing in a four-cylinder car. Come on. I mean, it's just getting out of control. Yeah. Um, and the car count was dying, and Bay Ridge was dying a little bit. Yeah, it went through some bad years. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's when I said, you know, it's time to move on. It's time to do something different. Yeah, and that's when I went enduro racing at Riverside and got myself a little Escort GT, <laughs> um, and went to go run the enduros over there. They're running once a month, you know, and yeah. a good way to get your feet wet on asphalt. And everybody says, oh, asphalt's expensive. It's expensive. And, well, if I endure races, it's expensive. It's well, better than eight thousand dollars in a motor. Right, it was eight thousand dollars in a motor. I mean, <laughs> I went from eight grand to back to you know building a nice little enduro car for you know a couple grand. You know, yeah. And then from that point on, we, you know, I wanted to go full time. I wanted to race three stocks. I wanted to do this, and I bought a car already built and ready to go. And 
you know, that was $6,500 for one of these right now. Yeah. You know, same kind of car, same things that we're doing. Um, and we were having success and we were winning and we were on track and we were doing things and we just come up short. We always come second or yeah. just miss it by, you know, 14 points or just throughout the whole career. It was always coming up short. Bay Ridge was short, coming second. Riverside coming second. And I knew we were good. I knew we could do things. Just, you know, the support and money. And my career, I think, went to the high moments when I got a, when I got my new job of selling cars. Yeah. I mean, being a salesperson, you can Google it and see what the average salesperson makes around here. It's pretty good money. Yeah. So thank God for my job, and I love it. And I've been doing it for almost 20 years now. And I've got myself to the point where it's really good income. So to do this. These cars aren't cheap now. These cars are not cheap now. You know, there's one for sale. Well, Price probably went down tonight, but fifteen thousand dollars for one of these. Yeah, stocks. it was fifteen thousand and fifteen five to be exact. Right. But, I mean, you got two cars. Uh, one was like three quarter way built. One's far, you know, well, built kind of a little banged up a little bit. I feel bad for him. Um, but it came with all this stuff. I mean, yeah. You, if you want to go racing, here it is. But this is a significant investment now. It's a very big investment. You got a trailer. You got tools. You got tires. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, it took us a long time to get to an enclosed trailer. Um, you know, we've only had a trailer for probably the last seven years. You know, once I bought one, I, I'm not going back to open trailer. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a garage. Yeah. You know, yeah. all your tools and parts, and we just kept getting better and better of you know equipment wise and building wise and learning the tricks and trades. I mean, this car right here. I mean, I've got seventeen thousand dollars in this car. Yeah. Right from the book, everything was brand new. Yeah. I said, if you're gonna raise a Thunder Road and you want to be competitive, you can't be worrying about leaky parts or breaking parts or you know a motor's gonna quit out on you or whatever else so we went for it all and was it worth it it's always worth it yeah. i mean people say you know it's crazy money and it's crazy things but i mean we could be doing different things you know there's a lot of other bad things out there i call this my drug racing is my, is my drug and this is what i do and i've been eating it sleeping it living it for that little my kids are in it. I think we're gonna die doing it. So, I, I know there's a race. We both want to go watch it, but you've you finished second so many times in your career, running for titles. Has this sunk in yet? Like, did you come in knowing, you know, this is ours to lose, or will it take a while, or is it gonna be the banquet, or next year, or you know, when does it hit home? I don't know. I got a big decision to make because. Everybody always asks me on my big career, why do you still play with the force on the cars? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep spending money on this and not move up and go bigger? You're old enough, you can do it, you got the talent. I didn't think I was good enough yet. If you're not a champion on something you're doing, I don't think I was ready to move up yet. So now, it's got to sink in here eventually that I am a champion. And now i got to make a decision. Do I move up? <laughs> so it's going to be a more of a car, more of a cost, whatever else. Um, I love to move up. I want to move up. I, I just want to make sure that we're ready. I want to make sure we're ready to move up. I don't want to be. I want to be a competitor, yeah. you know, and make sure that we can do it, and you know, and be the top ten, or get rookie of the year, or whatever else, and run for that stuff, and build our way back up to be running for championship again, a different division. Um, it takes a lot, so it hasn't quite sucked in 100 percent yet. I mean, I got a trophy on the back of my car. They said I'm the champion. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm a little champion, but I mean, it's going to take a little time to sink in, but I think when it does, I'll make my decision what I'm going to do next. Enjoy that beer. Thank you very much. Buddy. Thank you.
There's something, Justin, when I listened to that, especially the first time when I was editing it, that stood out. And there's something to being able to say and having a grasp enough on reality to say, I would love to move up to the Tigers, but also being able to say, I know it's going to be a struggle to do so. And I'm not expecting to be at the top of the heap. I think it's something he's thought about for a while. And I think that he wanted, I think he said it, he wanted to conquer the task at hand before taking that next step. And does he move up next year or does he stay? That's still to be determined, but I think he's more ready now that he can finally check that last box. There's nothing left to do. And the street stocks and, and now he's, he's got a decision. And I, looking at the preparation that I see from that team and the equipment that he's got and clearly the focus that he puts in, you can look at the race car. You can look at the wrap on the race car and know this guy's got his shit together, right? You know, it's not, it's not painted with a brush. It's not thrown together that the car looks like it could win a car show every week, even in September. Um, I would think that he, the only adjustment he'd have is figuring out how to drive it and set it up. The, the actual preparation would, would come pretty easily. Yep. Well, congrats. Those are your three Kings of the road here on, what are we on the 80th episode of the uncommon deeds podcast. Wow. Impressive. I didn't realize that. (laughs) We can't say never missing a week anymore. But still impressive nonetheless. Yep. Um, how long was that break? Three weeks? Four weeks? It ended up at least four, I believe. Yeah. It felt it felt really short and also forever. Does that yeah. make sense? I mean, we, we hopped on. We did kind of a best of dumbest things you've done in a race car just because we kind of wanted to get on the mics and talk a little bit. We did that to kind of break it up. But... We don't need to go back. We talked about that break and that, so we don't need to keep rehashing that. But no, back and feeling good. Big things coming. Like we said at the beginning of this show, we had our first live show coming on Milk Bowl Saturday in the Pavilion in heading into turn number three. You can see us there all day Saturday, and then we'll do the show after the racing sun after that open practice is done. Bobby Dragon, Robbie Crouch, Nick Sweet, and a few surprises probably still that will be there. And we're super excited. We got like a two-hour window to have fun. Hopefully, we'll have an extra mic. So if you guys have questions that you're dying to ask any of those guests, you'll be able to ask some questions. I'm excited for that. Um, we've done that a couple of times, right? Like we're ahead of ahead of the guests, or maybe just once. I know we did it with Austin Terry. A couple times. A couple times we've we've reached out and had you guys give us some questions and um but for us to not not even know what the questions are gonna be, you know, and for you guys to spit it out live on on air, that'll be fun in person and you know what I was also um, thinking really, of since we'll be there all day Saturday, maybe going around and asking some of the young or current drivers 
Absolutely. questions would you have? Yep. For I love it. For these legions. Yeah. Mm. The possibilities for this show are endless. You know, and I do want to a little bit go back to that that break. I think that you and I were kind of running on fumes back in July or late June or whatever it was. Um, and we really kind of weren't sure where this was going and it felt a little repetitive and stale and a little bit robotic. And we needed that break to sort of replace the batteries and, and figure out the direction we were going in. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited going into this off season (laughs) of racing than I think I've been about anything about this show. Um, And again, we're 80 episodes in and I feel like we're just starting. So yeah, it's, um, uh, it's very cool. Golf course usually finishes up at end of October for me, and that's going to open up some time. And, you know, we said this last winter, but we were still kind of in the COVID landscape amongst other things. You were dealing with crazy house renovations and all kinds of stuff last winter. So we are much more in a positive mindset in terms of our ability to get out and do some different things. And we talked about even, you know, day tripping to Pennsylvania to record and coming back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We've got a guest in mind down there that would be the ultimate white whale. Like it's probably never going to happen, but there's the chances are greater than zero. But not much. And that hint is really on the nose. I'll tell it's Moby. Could, it's the singer yeah. Moby. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe take a trip up to Maine. There's a few guys up there we wanted to talk to. Ontario's a great place full of racers. Justin knows a lot of, you know, indoor go kart tracks that I wanted yeah. to show me. Yep. Let's go. Let's go right now. YouTube. YouTube some go-kart races. Yes. Man, I'm excited. Ooh. Big things coming. Uh, Make sure you're following us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. The Instagram. Ooh, yeah. If you want to be a part of the Uncommon Media family, you're thinking about sponsoring this show. The Crunch Bunch podcast. Hopefully that's going to be back in the not-too-distant future. As soon as Al takes a nap. Yeah. The New Sports Order podcast, our newest podcast in the family. Or if you want to get in on the live show at Thunder Road on Milk Bowl weekend, we're doing something a little special with some opportunities for some new sponsors just for that live event. All you got to do is send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Gmail. Yep. Excited. Um, we've got a you know a regular show coming for you next week. None of them are regular, but a what you're used to, I guess, next week. Dare um, I say and, they're uncommon? Oh, my God. I, like, I knew you were going to work it in somehow. <laughs> I mean, you just lob it up there. I know softballs. Um, so yes, we'll be back in the regular routine next week. And I don't even know what's today's date, but uh, 
September anyway, we've 11th. Got a few weeks before the yeah, actually today, yeah, nine eleven today. Um, we've got a couple weeks, three weeks before the milk bowl thing happens, so we can finally uh, breathe that we can let the cat out of the bag. Um, and we're working on and then stress on actually making everything. Absolutely. That's right. Yep. Right down to the last minute because that's how we roll. But, um, and already an early shout out and, you know, we're blessed to have good friends and you have one that you've mentioned quite a few times on this podcast that if they called with anything, you would drop what you're doing to help them out. Steve Longchamp just volunteering equipment time to come be a part of our live show. Just awesome. Uncle Goofy pulling through. Wait till you see the mullet this guy is growing. Not uncommon media approved, actually. I got to be honest with you. It's it's not his finest work, but (laughs) totally on brand, too. Who knows? Maybe it'll change in the next three weeks. I don't think he will. <laughs> Just my hopes are not high for that. Thank you everybody for <laughs> tuning in to this episode of the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.